Pastor Xavier Reese and the simple steps to discovering the simple truth. The world is continually telling you and me to draw from yourselves. It's in you, you can do it. You see, the problem's in you. The solution isn't. Paul the Apostle said, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? You see, I've got to look outside of myself for the solution. You've got to fight the good fight. You've got to put on the armor. You've got to say no to sin. You've got to say yes to God. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. The people of Nineveh had been given the privilege of knowing the one true God. Under Jonah's preaching, this great Gentile city had repented, and God had graciously stayed His judgment. However, a hundred years later, the prophet Nahum proclaims the downfall of this same city as a result of the seemingly invincible capital of Assyria reverting back to its habits of violence, idolatry, and arrogance, will face God's judgment head-on to the point of non-existence. Pastor Xavier begins the book of Nahum as he continues a Simple Truths expositional series of the Minor Prophets. Let's listen. Nahum the prophet, as you read the book, you see that he has been called by God to declare the destruction of Nineveh, the capital city of Assyria and the empire of Assyria. Now this would have been the call that Jonah would have loved. So when you read Nahum, remember Jonah. Jonah would have loved to have this message, but God said to Jonah, not for you, but for Nahum. There are many things in our life that perhaps we will have a desire and inclination to, but God will say no to us. Hopefully you will not go through life as Jonah. Now as you go, come to the end of Jonah and we look, I think that Jonah learned his lesson. It's left in a question, and I feel that it's a rhetorical question, that Jonah finally got the message. But look at the way he was during that period, during that time. Here we have Nahum, and he's going to proclaim judgment here in chapter 1. Now remember that Nineveh was one of the earliest cities founded by Nimrod in Genesis chapter 10, verse 11. Nimrod was a mighty hunter against the Lord. He would take men away from God. He erected the Tower of Babel. And you see the whole attack against God and the things of God from the very beginning. Man has never had uh, any good inclinations towards God, but evil, because he wants to be God himself one way or another. Now, Assyria was named after their god Asher, which is the god of war. And they were a warlike people, as we have seen through the book of Jonah. We're not going to reiterate all their cruelty and that, but mass suicide would be committed by cities when the Assyrian army surrounded them. They dismembered people, they skinned them alive, they tore out their tongues, they did terrible things. Now, at the period of time that we're talking about here in the book of Nahum, it is the second Assyrian Empire. The first one began there with Nimrod and went on through, and it gained its independence from Babylon around 1500 B.C. But this period of time goes from Tilgath-Pileser III to Ashurbanipal, and even down to the destruction in 612 B.C. Assyria was not only cruel, but it was powerful. Nineveh had experienced the grace and the forgiveness of God through the preaching of Jonah, and now, years later, God comes back because they had turned their back upon God. I uh, become very concerned today in the Christian body as people are so uh, concerned with their past experience in Christ to be secure, so to speak, and yet they have no present evidence for what they feel they have done in the past with God. And we've got a lot of people who are always running around asking questions, well, you know, 
we're secure, right? Once we accept the Lord. Sure, as long as you abide. You can go down to uh, San Pedro Harbor, get on a boat, you're going to take a cruise for three weeks or something. As long as you're in the boat, you're okay. But if you get off the boat, you're going to have a problem. Now, if that's a problem for you, you have to talk to God, not me. I'm fully aware of predestination and free will. They're both biblical. They're both scriptural. But I don't understand how they work out. But all I know is that there, there's no transformation in my life and a predestination. Don't tell me you accepted Christ 10 years ago and now you're walking in the flesh. If you've given yourself over to what you were once, be careful. Because Peter says, like a dog returning to its vomit. He says the latter end is worse than the first. You know, you think you had it bad when you were a non-believer. And then you come to Christ and then you turn your back on God and you go back to the things you did. You know what? It's so much harder to come back. The bondage is so much more powerful. The heart becomes so much harder. And it's almost like you can't climb that mountain. It's like standing on oil. And this is a stern warning to all who have come to the light of the gospel. And who have either walked away or are meddling with sin. One way or another. And so here, the doom of Nineveh is revealed. And it reveals three things. First, the revelation of God himself. Then the condemnation of Nineveh. And the consolation of Judah. Let's look at verses 2 through 8. Here is God's revelation of himself. But let me read the whole chapter. The burden against Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum, the Alkasite. God is jealous and the Lord avenges. The Lord avenges and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries and he reserves wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord has his way and the whirlwind and the storm and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the seas and makes it dry and dries up all the rivers. Basham and Carmel wither, and the flower of Lebanon wilts. The mountains quake before him. The hills melt. The earth heaves at its, his presence. Yes, the world and all who dwell in it. Who can stand before his indignation? And who can endure the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire, and the rocks are thrown down by him. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who trust in him. But with an overflowing flood, he will make an utter end of its place. And darkness will pursue his enemies. What do you conspire against the Lord? He will make an utter end of it. Affliction will not rise up a second time. For while tangled like thorns, and while drunken like drunkards, they shall be devoured like the stubble fully dried. From you cometh forth one who plots evil against the Lord, a wicked counselor. Thus says the Lord, though they are safe and likewise many, yet in this manner they will be cut down. When he passes through, though I have afflicted you, I will afflict you no more. For now I will break off your yoke or his yoke from you and burst your bonds apart. The Lord has given a command concerning you. Your name shall be perpetuated no longer. Out of the house of your gods I will cut off the carved image and the molten image. I will dig your grave, for you are vile. Behold on the mountains the feet of him who brings good tidings, who proclaims peace. O Judah, keep your appointed feast, perform your vows, for the wicked one shall no more pass through you. He is utterly cut off. The revelation of God himself is very important when we look to judgment, and we find it from verses 2 through 8, as we said. The first thing we see in verse 2 is that God says, God is jealous. The revelation of God must come from Himself. No man can reveal anything about God. He is transcendent. He's beyond our finding out. All we can do is speculate. But when we go to the Word of God and God has revealed something about Himself, we can count on it as truth. 
That's the only way we can know anything about God. If God reveals himself. He is the revealing God. He is not hidden somewhere, but he has revealed himself throughout history. He's revealed himself through the scriptures. And the very first thing he says here to Nahum is that he is a jealous God. It isn't the first time we find it throughout scripture as Moses told the children of Israel as he brought them out of Egypt and he came into the land and as he was giving the second reiteration of the law in Deuteronomy 4.24, he says, The Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. He says it again in chapter 6, verse 15. He says it again in Exodus uh, chapter 20, verse 5, where he says, you, have no, you shall not bow down before any other gods. Now, when we read the word jealous, most of us right away try to associate jealousy of human nature. But jealousy of human nature is very selfish and self-centered. That means that I want something for myself, myself alone, and no one else. Or someone has something that I can't have. Then I envy and I become jealous also. And so jealousy, when it comes to human nature, for the most part, it's sinful. It's self-centered. But when the scriptures declare that God is jealous, his jealousy is centered on absolute devotion to him because he knows he's the only and the best thing for us. You see, that's why throughout the scriptures, God says that he cannot be equaled. Because he knows from the beginning when he created Adam and Eve, he gave them a garden, he gave them a place, and he gave them fellowship with God, and he says, I'm the best thing for you. Now, I know some of you think that you're the best thing for the world or for your wife or your husband, but you're wrong. You're not, because you're sinful. You've got weaknesses. You've got infirmities. You've got you in mind for the most part, most of the time when you walk in the flesh. When we walk in the Spirit, we can see our depravity. We can see our own uh, sinfulness. But when we speak of God's jealousy, it is totally centered on His purity and His love for us. He is the best thing for us, and that's why he will not share us with anybody else, because if we give ourselves to anything else, it's before we know it, we are taken away from God. Throughout the scriptures, Jesus spoke in parables and many other things, that those snares, those tares, those cares of the world, the thistles and the thorns, they will choke out the word of God. They become little gods in our life where we start serving them more than God. And so we need to remember that God is jealous. And because he's jealous, we need to remember that here he says that the Lord avenges and is furious. And he will take vengeance on his adversaries and he reserves wrath for his enemies. You see, when the prophet here says that he takes vengeance or he avenges, we have to remember that God's vengeance is holy. And vengeance belongs to him. The scriptures are clear that in Deuteronomy 32, 35 and Paul quoted in Romans 12, 19. Vengeance belongs to me. The vengeance that he's taking on is actually here that which is due him because of what has been done against him. But see, what has been done against him is totally wrong because he's totally good. When something is done against me, usually I want to take revenge. Revenge means I get back. We say revenge is sweet. But you know what? That sweetness wears out because the minute I'm satisfied then I want to do something else because I can never get enough. That's why the law, man is so depraved. That's why the law said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now many people quote that. They say, see, the law says eye for eye, tooth for a tooth. I have a right. You knock out my tooth, I'll knock out yours. But it was a limitation on man's evil heart. God knew that if you knock one of my teeth out, I'm going to want to knock all of yours out. And so God says if they knock one, you're limited to one. It's a limitation on man's sinfulness. 
God avenges. Man tries to take revenge. There's a big difference. God is holy. God gives what is meted out and no more, no less. We at times shortchange people. Sometimes we go overboard. But God is always exact. But notice also that he says that God is slow to anger and great in power in verse 3. He is patient regarding sinners. That's what he's saying. He's slow to anger. We saw that in the book of Jonah. Peter, 2 Peter 3, 9 says, God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's not slack. He's not tardy like some people count tardiness. But he's not willing that any should perish. God is right on time. He's very slow to anger regarding the sinner. Look at all that he puts up. You don't have to look to anybody's life. Look to your own life. I mean, how many times could have God wiped us out yesterday? Patient. But don't take the patience of God as being indifferent to sin. God does not settle all of his accounts in one day. But one day he will settle all of his accounts. Every one of them. Why is God saying all this? Because he's going to wipe out Nineveh. He says, I'm jealous for you. You've left me. You've betrayed me. I'm slow to anger. Great in power. Power to destroy and power to kick back. Nothing gets away from me. I'm in no hurry to destroy anyone. For he says that he will not acquit the wicked. In other words, no wicked person will get away with sin. No person who turns his back on God will sneak into heaven. Paul the Apostle tells us in Romans chapter 2, verse 3 and 5, that it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. And if we turn our back on that goodness, then all we do is we store up wrath against the day of judgment like a dam stores up water. That means there's a lot of power. There's a lot of stuff we're storing up. And the gates will be open on judgment day. You will not escape it. But yet God does not sit all content up there. For what does he say in Ezekiel 18.32? He says, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that he might turn and live. You see, you and I get off on people getting their own. In my flesh, I love it. But now that I'm the Lord, I know that that's evil. And as much as I want to see it, I have to turn to God and say, Lord, forgive me, help me. And I have to center and focus on the things of God, because if not, if I focus on those things, man, I take off running with my flesh, and so do you. One step leads me to another. And yet, as we saw through the preaching of Jonah, he declared that God was merciful, gracious, abundant and loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. God does not delight in sending anybody to hell, and yet there will be millions and billions upon billions in hell, the lake of fire. Why? Because it was made for Satan and his angels. Never for one man. And so really, man is, for the most part, most of the human race is going to end and spend all of eternity in a place which God never prepared for. God never destined us to be in the lake of fire. God created Adam so that he could spend all eternity with him. God made heaven for you and us. I mean, to me, hell makes more sense than heaven. As I look to the world, as I look to my own sinfulness, I mean, that's where I belong. It doesn't make any sense for me to go to heaven. <laughs> and don't think it makes sense to you for you to go to heaven either. The only thing that really makes sense is hell. As we look to our world as we look to our own homes, as we look to our own marriages, as we look to our, our system of man, man is evil. But man is always looking to that little goodness, that spark within him. They'll say spark, they'll say goodness, they'll say all kinds of different words, but when you look real down and you tear all the labels off, you see this ugly little mask there, man. 
His power is so great that from verse 3 on down, he proclaims us as stomping through the clouds. That's God running. Next time you look at the clouds, you know God's walking around. He's so powerful, he rebukes the seas. He dries the rivers. Maybe here the Red Sea, uh, Jordan is in mine. Mount Sinai, the mountains quake. The conclusion in verse 6 says, Hey, who can stand before his indignation? And who can endure the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire and rocks are thrown down by him. You ever remember being a kid at home and your dad got mad? And you knew you deserved it? You walk and say, Dad, what's your trip? Lighten up. Chill out. No way. You knew you couldn't stand before him and you were just hoping he wouldn't say nothing. You were hoping that you could get by. But deep down inside, you knew you were going to get it. If we can't escape the wrath of our fathers here on earth, what do you think is going to happen with our heavenly father? This is the question of the prophet. Who? No one. No one at all. I know that maybe some of you have your arguments. Say, well, you know, when I get up there, I'll, you know, I'll tell them. I didn't know this. I... Save your argument. You won't stand. I mean, I remember when I was in the world, you know, and my friends in the way, ah, well, you go to party in hell, you know. It was during the time when all great musicians supposedly were dying, you know. Jim Morris and all these guys were taking uh, drugs, and, you know, there's going to be a big party in hell, man. All those top musicians, Janis Joplin's going to be down there, you know, Jim Morris and all these guys. It ain't going to be no party. I guarantee you. But see, in the world, we, we joke about it because what else? I mean, we're part of it. And we can't in our mind envision how we would be eternally lost. No way, man. But see, we never had light. Have you ever seen how interesting it is that when you first walk into a room, you remember parting? You walk in, all oh, lights are off. It gets hard to kind of see people at first, you know. But then once you're in there a little while, hey, it's like daylight. You can see everybody, all the creepy crawlers. Someone turn on the light. Hey, hey, what are you doing? Turn on that light. What's the matter with you? <laughs> darkness. We love darkness. We laugh about it. You know why? Because we see the reality, the destruction, and the pain, and the suffering that it's brought to many of our lives. And still does to many who do not know Christ. It's neat to see what God has done in our life and to look back and, and man, to be able to warn people. But there's a lot of pain back there. But thank God for the grace of God and the mercies of God. The goodness of God. He says one more thing about God. He said God is good. In verse 7, The Lord is good, a stronghold in the days of trouble, and He knows those who trust in Him. But with an overflowing flood, He will make an utter end of its place, and darkness will pursue His enemies. Everything God does is good. He can do nothing bad. He's very benevolent. In creation, He says, and God did this, and it was good. And then at the end, He says, it's very, very good. God can't do any evil. Now, sometimes we look at different things. Well, there's a guy, why is there this? You know, we've got to realize that what we see around us today is not what God intended from the beginning, but it's the result of man's continual rebellion against God. It's the result of sin. God didn't purpose this. God didn't plan this. Now, be careful of thinking that God has his hands tied and he couldn't help it. No, he can't. Well, why didn't he stop it? I don't know. We'll ask him together when we get there. But I know it was good. But see, I don't have the mind of God. And that's what happens many times. We get into a situation and, and, and we go through it in our mind and we can't understand why they did this, why they said this, because we don't have the same mind another person has. And then we want to think we have the same mind as God? I mean, we have problems with each other. How much problems are we going to have with God? How many times have your husband said to your wife, well, how could you think that? Didn't you know? 
and we think everybody's supposed to think like me. We see nothing but ourselves. And when people can't go along or line up with the way we think or we do, then of course, poor fellows, I'll pray for you. One day a rich young ruler came to Jesus and says, Good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said, Why do you call me good? There's only one good, that's God. Are you saying I'm God? Or are you confused about who's good? You see, there's only one good. Now, throughout the TV, throughout the magazines, throughout your education, some of you are in college and high school, you're continually being bombarded with man is good. Man is basically good. Man is bad. He's bad news. Study the history of man. Nations rise and they fall. Nations begin striving, building, and they end up destroying themselves. The problem is within man. He's sinful. Just stop and look at the relationships you've had through life, whether it be boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, or children, whatever. The relationship seems to be good, but then something goes wrong. Why? There's only two of you. And of course, it's not you, it's the other person. It couldn't be you. You see, we take the problem with us everywhere we go. Because the problem's in my heart. It's evil. It's wicked. Notice he is a stronghold or a refuge to those who believe in him in the day of trouble. And there are many days of trouble. I wish I could tell you this morning that if you came to Christ, all your problems would be solved. But the truth of the matter is, you're probably in for a bigger hassle of your life than ever before. The great advantage is that you no longer are under God's wrath. And God cleanses you from your sin. And now you will have light to walk in, rather than stumbling over darkness. But you will be an enemy. You will be a pilgrim. You will be a fish out of water. You will be one going contrary to the current of the world if you make a stand for Christ. And yet he says, he will be a stronghold for you in the day of trouble which means you will have trouble. Did not Jesus say, let not your heart be troubled? You believe in God, believe also in me? They were troubled. He says, listen, in the world you're going to have tribulations, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Peter says, listen, your trials and tribulations, they come in different kinds, different colors, all kinds of different dimensions, and by the way, that's good. Don't think it's strange. Jesus didn't pull any punches. If you're a Christian, you're going to have troubles. I mean, we like to think that it's going to be an ideal life. And it's going to be, I mean, there's a lot of advantages, but you know what? We live in a sinful world. We're sinful people. Our, our sin nature is still with us. We have to continually reckon it dead. And we have to deal with those issues. We have to deal with relationships. We have to resolve. We have to pray. We have to seek the scriptures. We have to deny ourselves. We have to recognize our error, humble ourselves and say, listen, I'm sorry. I was wrong. And sometimes that's not what we want to do. But see, he knows those who trust in him. They're the ones that are run to the tower. They're the ones who draw his strength from him. The world is continually telling you and me to draw from yourselves. It's in you. The whole concept of rehabilitation programs. It's in you. You can do it. And so it works as long as they're there. Then they're out in the street and they're back to it. You see, the problem's in you. The solution isn't. Paul the Apostle said, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? You see, I've got to look outside of myself for the solution. You keep looking within, and you're going to get depressed. You look around, you'll feel oppressed. But you look to Jesus, and you'll be refreshed. But you've got to draw from His strength. You've got to pray. You've got to study the Word. You've got to put it in your heart that you don't sin against God. You've got to fight the good fight. You've got to put on the armor. You've got to say no to sin. You've got to say yes to God. Pastor Xavier Reese and recognizing the need within for salvation from above.
More simple truths he draws from our expositional series of the Minor Prophets and highlighting chapter 1 of Nahum. Now you can hear this message again if you like online anytime by selecting today's date at the radio listings link at calvarychapelpasadena.com. And as we've had to break only partway through this study, we hope you'll be back next time for the conclusion. But if your schedule won't permit you to tune in, as always, you can pick up your own personal copy. And the title you want to ask for is simply The Destruction of Nineveh. It's available on CD for just $4. And that title, once again, is The Destruction of Nineveh. Or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com